0: Welcome to the Property Management Mastermind Show with your host, Brad Larson. Brad owns one of the fastest growing property management companies in San Antonio, Texas. This podcast is for property managers by property managers. You'll hear from industry leading professionals on best practices, new ideas, success stories, and lessons learned. This is your opportunity to learn about the latest industry buzz surrounding property management, as well as tips and strategies to improve your business.
1: FindDigs makes your leasing process lightning fast and 100% fraud-proof straight from the applicant's phone. FindDigs not only instantly verifies income by connecting directly to bank accounts without any documents uploaded, but also uses 3D selfies and facial match technology to perform complete fraud-proof bank-grade identity verification, allowing property managers to process applications in under an hour. For more information, check out their website at www.findigs.com or reach out to Henson at hensonatfindigs.com. Hey
2: everybody, this is Brad Larson. I want to talk to you about a new podcast out there that I would highly recommend called 300 to 3000, How to Grow Your Property Management Company to Scale. One of the hosts is Matthew Whitaker. He's a good friend of mine. I visited their operation and I really, truly respect what GK Houses has done and they are still doing. They are experts at growing at a fast scale into a large scale business. So expect to hear the real world truth about all the mistakes the company has made growing into it and all the good things they're doing. Again, go to 300 to 3000.com. That's our website and catch them on iTunes, Spotify, and or Stitcher. Look forward to hearing from good things from those guys. Take care. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Property Magic Mastermind podcast. I'm your host, Brad Larson. And today's guest, I have Mike Catalano coming at us. He is going to be talking to us about the initiation and development of a new business called Pure, a property management company. And so Mike has been a long time uh, property management company owner. He is very astute in the business and it's an exciting interview we're going to have today to learn more about Pure and their intentions and what they've been doing and where they feel they're going to go. It's quite exciting. Got a lot of interest brewing on this. So without further ado, Mike, how are you today?
1: doing great thank you so much for having me really appreciate it
2: appreciate you coming on so let's get to the introductions real quick kind of give us a couple of minutes about who you are what you are
1: yeah absolutely well i'm you know co-founder of peer property management uh, as you mentioned i've been in this industry you know for 25 plus years not to age myself completely but i have been in it for quite some time uh, family's been in it uh, obviously prior to that uh, you know just kind of a little background on how long i've been doing it you know we used to take property management calls in our house we had a, a property management hotline at uh, 10 years old, uh, when the phone rang, we were sprinting down the hallways trying to answer this thing within two rings. And, uh, you know, if it uh, got past two rings, we would hear it from our family. Uh, and generally, 90% of the time, it was my dad uh, checking to make sure we we're answering it. So, you know, had a long lineage of that, you know, even all the way down to when I was 10, 12, 14 years old, my uncle and I and my dad used to go down to the San Jose uh, courthouse steps. To buy foreclosed properties, and once we would buy them, you know they were usually trashed, and they would take me to the property, drop me off with a uh, with a big uh, garbage bin, and say, "Clean it up. We'll see you later." (laughs) So uh, we've been flipping homes, and you know we would prep those homes, we would paint them, we would clean them, and do all that stuff to the point where uh, you know we would get it prepared and rent them. So our family's been doing it for quite some time, and you know once we did it for our family, then. We did it for more people and more people. And next thing you know, we had a property management company in the family. My dad had one in Silicon Valley. And then, you know, in the early 2000s, we uh, acquired uh, a company that was about 300 doors Did our first acquisition. And we kind of got done with it. And we said, you know, this is, this is pretty good. It actually works out pretty well. And, you know, the, the multipliers are even less back then. Uh, and so they worked out pretty well. So then we bought another one uh, and we bought another one. And uh, then I branched off a little bit and, and bought uh, one outside of the area in Santa Cruz and, and uh, in Sacramento. Uh, and next thing you know, if, you know, after prior to pure, I acquired about 13 companies. Uh, and, you know, for me that it was fun, actually, it kind of revived me in the business. I've been, you know, I did all the grind of property management. I went from answering the phones, uh, taking the phone calls. Uh, you know, I, I used to manage a hundred and, I think I ended up being 285 or 300 properties uh, with an assistant, uh, and worked on that, and you know worked 80 hours a week, and showed all the properties, and went through the grind of it. And the goal was to really build the company, so it didn't really need me anymore. And oddly enough, when I got to that point, uh, I had some time to kind of, you know, kind of reboot myself, and you know, kind of saw this change in the industry, and this is kind of how Peer kind of came about. So. Uh, You've been around a long time and you've been a NARPA member for years and, um, you know, loved going to your your conference at PMMCon multiple times as well. Uh, And, you know, I I think for me, the industry has treated me very well. And, you know, with with Pure, we are very transparent and open and we want to kind of treat the industry well right back.
2: No, I think that's interesting and very, uh, it, it sets you apart because you've got the background of the property management industry. You've done everything from start to finish And that does set you apart as an acquirer because you know, as we talk more about the new faction of Pure and the new business that you've started, uh, you gotta understand kind of where you're coming from in in order to really understand where you're going. And I I like where you're coming from. I like where you're going. And there's a big difference because we do see some acquirers uh, in this industry, in this space to where they have never really done property management. They don't really understand it from the ground level. They understand it from the 30,000 foot level but they don't really understand it from, you know, doing it in person. And that could be a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, you can, you can spin that either way, but I can tell you most operators out there, most people that are, that are doers in the property management world, they like the fact that you're coming from the space of actually getting it done by yourself, getting it done, you know, at the user level. So I want you to talk more about pure and what it is and kind of where you envision this going.
1: Yeah. And and so why don't I kind of talk about how we we kind of got it off the ground and started? And, you know, it's something I've had in my head for quite some time. I've been watching this happen. I've been watching this uh, develop in this industry. And we've been seeing the changes over the last 10 years. And, you know, I've seen all these other companies come through some inside the industry, some outside the industry. And I kind of always wanted to do it. But I I knew one thing I didn't, I wasn't going to just kind of be a property management guy who just did it on his own. Because I think that It takes a special uh, mixture of people to do something like this. Um, You've seen companies that are straight from the industry try and do it. You've seen companies that are straight from technology to try to do it outside the industry as a whole and try and do it. I think it needed a really good mixture. And, you know, as we know, everything happens on or after golf. So uh, uh, my uh, business partner and co-founder, Joe Apoborari, he and I have known each other for quite some time. And you know, we finished a round of golf, and you know, one of our really close friends who introduced us—he's actually our uh, lead counsel, Rob Gagliasso. Yes, lots of Italians uh, in this company, but uh, we welcome all. Um, So uh, he—he and I were just talking, and and Rob actually wrote my last three purchase agreements for companies I I acquired. And he said, you know, tell Joe what you've been doing, and let's kind of talk about this. And and Joe was winding down uh, with his business; he was actually exiting a company and taking it from. Uh, the private, uh, public world to private and selling the company off. And we kind of started talking about it. And, and Joe's expertise is, you know, he's a seasoned CEO in Silicon Valley for the last 25 years. He's taken two companies public. He's taken a company from 25 employees to 3,500. Um, you know, he's raised out, uh, about a half a billion dollars over his many years. So he's that Silicon Valley guy that we all know, but he's actually, you know, I wouldn't tell him this, this to his face, but he's a good guy as well. Uh, we have a lot of fun banter back and forth with each other. But uh, you know, ultimately we talked about it and it, it just, we kind of looked at it and it said, you know, this is a humongous industry, right? We all know this. Everyone in our industry knows this. We know how big it is. It's never been put on the map because the funny thing about it is, you know, all the smartest people in the world are, are coming up with how to get people to buy ads and, you know, how to do Facebook and social media, you know, all these smart people. But, you know, someone who doesn't have a, a bathroom in their, in their one bedroom and us fixing that is like the lowest of the low. We've always been treated way down here. But you know what? That is a very important thing that nobody ever considers. This is someone's life every day. We're not dealing with social media. We're dealing with the necessities of this life. So we just wanted a different approach to where we want to continue to have really strong connectivity with our clients, really strong connectivity with our tenants. And what I talked about it with Joe is that, look, this industry is gigantic. People are just starting to get to understand this, but it's never been well-respected. And I think that we can try and help you know, give it the recognition that it, that it deserves. And that's kind of what we've been talking about. And, and his, he's obviously a technology guy. So, you know, doing some tech enablement on the side would help as well, especially with multipliers and, uh, you know, ultimately optimizing what we're trying to do business-wise. So we started, uh, like anyone would do, take an idea and go talk to people and see if they give you money for it. <laughs> so we, we uh, took this idea and we did go to the venture capital world. We went to private equity. We went to um, family offices. We went to high net worth individuals. And we put this deck together and we brought it up to people and people like, we love this idea. You have 40,000 property management companies, you know, doing it 40,000 different ways. I mean, even the companies we bought to this day are really well-run companies and we all do it differently. So, and not that they're all wrong, but if there is gotta be a one way that we can do this, right. To, to a certain extent. And then there's $30 billion of fee income out there in this, in this, and this is what the, you know, public world is seeing in the private equity world and venture capital. This is why they're jumping into this because of the recurring revenue. And the fact of the matter is there's so much money in it to be had. So we've saw this of course, but we we basically tested the waters and people were very open to it and very interested in what we're doing. Now here's ironic. So, yeah. yeah, I wanna yeah, sure.
2: ask a couple questions. So uh, I want you to tell us more about your acquisition intentions. I mean, really yeah. kind of where you guys feel you're going and along that yeah. same discussion point, try to illustrate to us the differences between venture capital and private equity. Yeah. Cause that really, that really gives us a background of where the money's coming from, who's bringing the money and what intentions you are using yeah. in your acquisition strategies. Go from there.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I guess, you know, first and foremost, on the acquisition side, you know, I've been doing this for quite some time. So we try and make the process as simple as possible. These I've looked at hundreds of p ls for property management companies. We can narrow down a price and be really quick on this. We don't have to send it to a whole bunch of different people to get it looked at and you know have it audited and all that stuff. We audit it ourselves really quick and understand it really fast. So the aspect of doing acquisition, we try and make it more simple. Now, and I think that's one of the big differences initially is that because we raise money through family offices and high net worth individuals, we have control over what our company is doing and how we're doing it. To an extent, we have to fit everything within a box, but we ultimately have control to buy the companies. So we don't have to send it out. With the, In the venture world, they're not a huge fan of acquisitions, generally. They want organic growth, uh, and they you know really want to spend money quickly. Uh, and private equity is, is a shorter plan. So venture capital is usually about 10 years. Uh, they have a 10-year plan, and they want to make to have some sort of you know, 10X plus exit at the end of those 10 years. Private equity usually has about a five-year term when they raise a fund, And they've invested money and they have about five years where before they have to either reinvest or they have to do some sort of liquidation of the the, uh, the assets. So with us, we just have high net worth individuals and family offices that are allowing us to just run the business. Like we wanna be able to run the business and not have somebody in the way of what we're trying to do because myself and everyone else that we brought on board today, they're the experts in the industry. And then we have the technology guys and the corporate side, they're the experts in what they do. So let's put them together and we get to run the business. Now, when you have private equity or venture capital occasionally, and depending on how they fit it within their box, they actually have to get to the point where they get approval on acquisitions, you know, and they have to go through maybe a few more uh, processes to be able to get to that point. And we don't have to do that. So I think that's a that's a big piece. The other piece is that this is probably the most important and the reason why we didn't go that route of venture or private equity yet, uh, it's because... You know, ultimately, these are cash flow businesses, right? We're all you know, most people are cash flow positive in this. And the last thing I want to do, and we want to do, is burn our money. So we want to continue to buy companies, you know, build some technology on the back end, and ultimately come to the point where we can help enable it a little bit better and, and maybe get that multiplier at the end. But we want to continue to stay cash flow positive. And I think that's the big difference because when someone gives you money, they want that money to work, and they don't want to see. A cash flow positive company at the beginning. They want to see burn, burn, burn. And that's not what we want to do. We actually want to stay and continue to be cash flow positive as we grow and as we continue to grow. And we have done that to date so far.
2: Now, I know you may not have an official title yet with Pure, but do you kind of <laughs> just, be, cur- just be, be clear to explain your role as you have it now? Go from there.
1: Yeah. So, you know, Joe and I are the, the general partners and co founders, um, but we don't have titles. You'll never see a title on a, on, on a, my emails or anything like that—we're just not big on that stuff. Because what we're really trying to do is—is, is, is, I think we kind of talked about it before. We feel like we're we're an indie label, like an indie um, record label, right? And what we're trying to do is sign up a bunch of rock stars, right? So this is not about Joe. This is not about me. This is about the people that we think are rock stars in this business, and we're trying to bring them together and give them an opportunity to to you know get the recognition they deserve and to be able to come out and say, hey, we've been kicked on, stepped on, and pushed down for how many years now? Has this been a low-level, considered a low-level industry at in property management? I mean, my friends would look at me, oh, you're in property management. Well, I work for Facebook, and I work for Google, and I work for this, in Silicon Valley. I'm like, well, I do property management, but prior to peer, I only work two days a week. So, you know, good job on your job, but I think property management is pretty good. But at the end of the day, we're, you know, we don't have labels. So my job here is I help, Joe and I help raise the money. Um, we help kind of, you know, work with the leadership team and, and you know, help guide them and help them do what they need to do to, to do their jobs best and enable them as best as possible. And then we, all, of course, think of the future and what we can do and what our next steps are as we go. Um, and, you know, we still do the grind. I mean, we do everything is to ordering swag. Uh, Joe's done that. I mean, I, we do anything we need to do to make sure the company works and everybody knows that we're available 24 7 for anyone in the company i don't care who you are what you do or anything like that you can reach out to us and talk to us anytime we just feel like we're just part of the crew and that's kind of how we run it
2: talk to us about the pace of your acquisitions and then also some of the goals you have in getting on that pace and where you want to go here in the next six months to a year or so
1: yeah it's a good question we, we came out of the gates quite quickly Right. So, you know, we, we literally, uh, we raised, we closed our round October 1st of last year and bought our first companies December 1st. Um, and in the first three months we bought 10 companies. Uh, so I, obviously I've done a lot of acquisitions before, but they usually like one or two at a time. But, but the difference is the people that we acquired once again, going back to the rockstar bit, we have people like John Neal, uh, Jennifer Newton, uh, Jennifer Stoops came on board. Um, and uh, Keith Becker, Bob Thomas, uh, and I'm sorry if I forget anybody, but we had a a bunch of people that came on board that either have no acquisitions or no operations or they know business development, and we kind of put that whole group together, and we all worked together to make sure that those 10 acquisitions went well. And it went really well. We took a little bit of a break just to make sure that we were going to be able to digest these, mostly the most difficult aspect is the HR point because you go from four employees to 50 overnight. It uh, it changes quickly. So we wanted to make sure that we took care of the employees right. If we had any hiccups, you know, we, we always promised that we'd take care of the employees. And at the end of the day, you know, you have to show people you'll take care of them rather than tell people. And I feel like we've done that to date. But you know, the goal here is just to continue to acquire. I mean, I think we talked about it before we jumped on, is you know, we're sitting at you know, six thousand plus doors under management but talk to me in two months and that's going to be significantly more. So we're trying to, I think we kind of, uh, our little uh, joke in our company is we're kind of like Joey Chestnut. We're going to try to ingest as many hot dogs as possible without throwing up. So uh, that's what we want to do. But I think the important part of it, it's it's different because we are actually very picky on who we want to bring on board. We basically are looking for, we have three basic main criteria. We want good people. I mean, we are trying to build a really strong culture and that's the most important because this is still a people business. Technology will never replace the people side of this completely. What we wanna do with technology is enable them to do their job, right? Enable them to do the people side of the job. And that's what we wanna do. So number one is people. We want good people, strong people, good leaders, uh, whether you're gonna be coming on board with Peer or you're gonna stay locally or whatever your plan is for that. Those are the criteria for first and foremost. Secondarily, you know, have a good company. And usually good people in this industry have good companies, right? And they kind of run hand in hand. And of course, you know, importantly, but and not last and last but not least is investable markets. We want to make sure that we're in a good market that we think we can grow in. So we did that at the beginning, brought a lot of people on board that I know really well, and then they brought some people that they know. And that's kind of how this network has, has continued to, to grow.
2: Do you have a six, uh, six month or one year goal?
1: Yeah, so ironically, we started off lower than we uh, lower than uh, we are actually going to hit. So we kind of said, you know, let's let's do ten thousand doors in one year, and now we're looking, you know, and I think we can beat that. Maybe we're at twelve thousand five hundred, and we just keep moving the goalposts on everyone. So <laughs> it depending on how many we can get. If look, if we can get to fifteen thousand plus in one year, that would be a huge huge feat for this company and what we can do. As long as we can do it properly by taking care of employees, taking care of the clientele. Uh, and taking care of the tenants that are involved as well and, and not having major hiccups, you know, we'll try and ingest as much as we can.
2: Explain the software piece to me a bit. So you guys are developing your own software or using a third party?
1: Yeah. So we're, we're third party. We use third party right now. We are developing a software and, and the goal, like I said, is to build the software that enables the people side of things to happen. So we're going to, you know, workflow is obviously a huge piece. We need to make sure that we can have a workflow that I think, The difficult part that we all run into in this industry is that we have to use five, six, seven, sometimes eight different platforms to do our job. And the last thing we want to do is have someone have to jump from one platform to the next platform, to the next, to the next, to do one item. Um, So we're trying to put all of that into one. Now we are working on the fact whether or not we're going to work with some outside um, software platforms because we will open our API up um, or we'll just build the whole thing. We're in the process of, you know, really getting to the point where building the whole thing makes the most sense. But as you know, this is a humongous product. It's gigantic. And we're not going to wait until, you know, we're the, this humongous product before we launch it. So we will launch it. To, and the goal is before we launch it is to make sure that it's simple. Uh, and it works well for the people and better than what we have now. So when we currently when we acquire a company, we keep them on the platform that they're on, uh, just because we don't like that disruption, except we've had a couple uh, companies on really old platforms that are pretty much not around anymore. So <laughs> we might have to move them off immediately, but the goal is to, you know, really put in, of course, the accounting side, I think accounting and workflow are some of the, some of the two largest pieces, right? So we want to make sure the accounting side is taken care of properly and make sure we don't screw up money. Cause the one thing that we always say, we never miss an owner payment ever. <laughs> so we do that as number one and number two, is we really want to have a workflow process that, that works. And we can take the automated, automated side of it and take the 27 pro- step process and turn it into five. And then the person can do the five steps on their own and take all the minutiae out from under them. So they don't have to go from jumping from one platform to the next.
2: How do you envision your organic growth model to look like? Are you think you guys can, can grow organically? Cause that's been a challenge with other acquirers. There's they can buy homes pretty easy but they don't know how to actually go out and do business development. What are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah. So right now we're working individually with all the companies that come on board, We're looking at what they're doing uh, um, as far as their marketing uh, processes go. We're seeing what their organic growth was previously uh, and if, we, if it can be sustained. Obviously right now you're seeing a heck of a lot more properties being sold than we've seen in quite some time. So you actually have to acquire uh, organically more properties uh, to bring that on to really um, combat that attrition. But I think we're keeping people to, we don't like losing the brand that's been around for 20 or 10 years, you know, that, that's been percolating in that specific areas that we're been. So we've, that we're, that we're jumping in. So we're keeping them going, but we're helping them on the back end. You know, we have a, a, a marketing team um, that's very familiar with real estate, very familiar with SaaS platforms, very familiar uh, with, uh, you know, the Google search and how it works. So we're really trying to work on the organic side individually per company while we're using their name and continuing to use their name. Because what you'll notice, about us is, yeah, occasionally we wear swag because look, I've never been wearing sw- had swag and it's it's fun to wear it, but it's not about the pure name yet. We don't need to build the pure name. We wanna build and enable the companies that we're acquiring. So uh, it is always a challenge because you know I think what we're all trying to do is get that 75% of self-managed people of all those properties out there to jump onto property management, right? And you're seeing it more and more in, in states like California, Washington, where they're highly regulated. Uh, and we can see that a lot of these other states are getting to that point as well. So I think that's what we're really pushing is to show the landlord, hey, look, this is important for you. It's your probably your number one asset that you own. So why wouldn't you turn that over to someone who would manage it? You have people manage your money. You have a bank hold holds your money. You have all these things that manage all your important stuff, but not your most valued asset. So we're going to really work on trying to get that group to, to come on board with property management
2: yeah cracking that individual landlord nut is a tough one uh the institutional landlords get it you know even the ones that have five or ten properties they tend to get it more it's the majority out there like 60 70 80 percent of the individual landlords they probably have Mm -hmm. one to two properties yeah here's an interesting tidbit of the market so we all know the super sale off is going right now I mean everybody's selling their homes and you know we have management companies that their inventory is decreasing significantly And another interesting tidbit, so I was listening to John Warlow's podcast this morning, Built to Sell, and he was talking about there's been an uptick of another 20 to 25% of business owners, not just property management company, but business owners wanting to sell because of the change in the the whole thing that COVID brought on between working from home to changing their industry, to reevaluating where their life is today with all of this health scare going on. And so you guys are so young, you may not have seen the uptick, but... Uh, What are you seeing in your market research out there? Are are management companies now just, their inventory is shrinking so bad, they're just dying to sell? I mean, what are you seeing?
1: Yeah, I think it's a pretty big mix because you have, there's basically three different types of people that own these companies right now. You have, uh, you know, there's a generational shift, number one. The average property management company owner is probably about 60 years old, right? So they're actually getting to the point where, look, I need to find an exit at some point, maybe covid and the stuff we're going through now and the change of technology is pushing them a little bit more quickly to getting to that exit so you have them that you know want to exit between now and five years probably at, at, at best and then you have the person who is just fed up kind of what you're talking about just tired of it the regulations the uh, you know auditing of the department of real estate or the real estate commissions depending on where you are um, you know my previous company that i had before came into peer just got audited for a year past uh, we made it through great which is fantastic but They're out there looking, right? So the regulations involved, COVID, all these things, they're just fed up and just wanna get out. So they're to say, you know what? I'm just gonna sell off, I'm gonna get out, I don't wanna be in this business anymore and we're gonna go. And then the interesting one to me, and probably the one I've been very very excited about is the companies that are very well run, have fantastic net margins, but they wanna be part of something bigger. They wanna be part of this. There's a shift, there's a change, there's no question this is happening in this industry. Now, there will be survivors and they will be able to hang on. There's no question in my mind as well because we always need the smaller landlord that that's that's here and you know we want to enable them as well because they they've worked their tails off and they deserve to be there, but there's a the group of people that are saying, you know what? I'm never going to get the multiplier that I deserve. Cuz our multipliers, look, everyone knows that there's a kind of a range, you know, and certain things will push that range up or down, but at the end of the day they're not going to get their multiplier number one. Number two, how are they gonna compete with some of these larger people or larger companies, venture back and private equity, who are throwing just loads of cash at the marketing side of things and really pushing them down on pay-per-click and all other aspects of it, who are the next thing you're gonna see them on radio and all over the place. You know, how how are you gonna compete with that? So they see that as well. But I think the important thing, and this is where we really thought about this, is how do we get someone who has a great company, who has great margins? who has great income and a really good group to jump off that, off that company. And to do that, you have to do something special. And, and that's why I think that's one of our biggest differentiators. And all of the companies that have come on board so far are all of those. They're all people who run great companies, have great margins and really understand this industry. And they're running a fantastic company, but they saw this opportunity and say, look, I can join that company, I can get an exit, You have an opportunity in some cases to invest in a limited partnership. You have equity in the company. So if you take all of these things and put them all together, it ends up being a pretty fantastic exit at some point. You know, our goal is not to just sell off this company. The goal 100% is to build the best company that we can build with the best people. Like, you know, what Joe and I talked about from very early on is we're too old to have drama We're too old to have problems. So we're taking everyone we know that we love as people and bringing them if they wanna come on board with us. And he's taking people from his world who he worked with for 10, 15 years and he's brought them on board and we've all put this company together, which is one of the hardest things. It's taking like a tech corporate world and combining that with the real estate or property management side and making them work like this. And I don't know if you were at PEMM of course, and you saw we had that group there. We had our VP of marketing, Dave uh, David LaPont. We had Ashley Fiddler, who's our VP of product, who came to this event who've never been to a property management event ever, and we put them together. And this group fit in perfectly because they respect the heck out of what we do here. And Ashley, head of product, is learning how hard it is, right? So going back to your question is, that's the group that we're looking at that sees this and sees what we're doing and say, you know what, I want to be part of something bigger. And at some point, get that exit that I deserve with the technology halo that we're building as well, because that's what's really... You know pushing those multipliers up significantly is being able to have the technology piece as well
2: so what are your predictions in the economies of scale because one of the big reasons for rolling up or acquiring is to create that that system where you save money instead of having five employees do one thing you have one employee do those things so kind of talk to me about where you predict that obviously it's just it's basically money to the bottom line. Because if you spend one less dollar in expenses, you make one more dollar in profit. Yeah. So mm-hmm. kind of talk us through that just for fun, because it's it's kind of fascinating to me to see where, you know, you could take a business from, I don't know, fun figure, 5% margins to like a 25% margin because of those economies of scale. But give me some real world stuff there. What's going on in your head?
1: Yeah. So, you know, the goal here is to, you know, take most companies that we've seen are, are usually working between like a 10 and 15% net margin. Right. And, you know, of course, that's not our goal. Our goal is to get up to 40, maybe 50 percent margins. And those are what my companies were running at prior to pure. And, you know, that's a combination of a few things. It's uh, processes, you know, good people that you hire, hard workers. um, And we're buying companies. We're not acquiring and firing people. You know, we are right now building the foundation and the foundation, you know, maybe it, it hits our margins a little bit. But that foundation is important because we're building this within people who know how to manage property. I think this is one of the biggest keys. My personal opinion being in this for so long is actually, I mean, third-party property management is not rocket science, but there is a science to it, right? And to be able to manage a property properly, you have to have the right people. So you build the foundation and, you know, at some point will there be a consolidation of, of like some people? Yes, but the foundation is important. You build that foundation out. And what we've already noticed is some people who we've acquired Maybe their their job is not a full-time job and where they're working, but we've moved them onto the corporate side because they understand property management accounting or they understand business development. And why lose someone's experience when you're doing that? And that's a big difference that we're seeing that these other companies aren't really looking at is embracing the people who understand this business. So will there be a a point, because you have a couple of different types of acquisitions. You have a foundational acquisition and then you have a roll-up. Right, and there's a lot of those as well, where a company wants to just sell their company, move on, and you'll roll that company in. And will there be a little bit of a <clears throat> consolidation at that point? I mean, that's how I built some of my uh, acquisitions in Silicon Valley. Is we built a big company there, and then we would buy companies and maybe bring one or two client-facing employees over, and then maybe have a few. The rest of them not come on board with us. Um, and there's a there's definitely a science to that as well, because you want to make sure that you're not losing the client facing people where the client feels this huge change and they don't know who they're talking to or anything like that. So you got to make sure that you keep that connectivity with them. But at some point, you know, you have a back office that will handle specific aspects of the business. You have a biz dev team, you have a marketing team, and you'll really be more uh, of a departmental type business. And then you'll have the people side of it that handle the the people facing people, uh, people facing uh, clients. So I think that, oh, go ahead.
2: I'm going to get into the weeds in this next question uh, if you're yeah. done with that discussion point. Yeah, sure. Is, so this is really kind of really far-fetched in the weeds, as I mentioned. Uh, do you guys plan on having a, a set, standardized pricing model for across the nation or is it going to be market specific?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And and we are, you know, we're working through that right now, but I think right now, I just don't think you can standardize that across the nation. What, what we're doing is we put together what we call the pure playbook, right? And the peer playbook, is not just technology, it's the whole kit and caboodle, right? So we have technology piece, we have uh, the playbook of the operational piece, we have the acquisition piece, and then we have the people piece, right? So those four, it makes up the pure playbook. And what we're doing right now is the playbook, the pricing and all that combined, we're doing that nationally, and then we're doing it by state because there's regulatory issues, there's uh, compliance issues by state, and then region as well. So I think that there's gonna be differences across the board I just don't see a national way of doing that right now. We may change that at some point, but right now we're keeping it individually based on the areas, based on the competition, based on what people are offering. And you know we're trying to get competitive. You know we've seen companies come in and offer a flat fee. And really, that is in a low flat fee to say, you know you know because they're most of them are venture backed, where they are burning money and they're okay with burning money because they're doing what we call a door grab. They're trying to get as many doors under management as they can. So when they do that and offer, you know, under a hundred bucks flat fee a month, we know as business people in this, that's not sustainable the way that they're running their businesses. Until you get to the point where you're a hundred percent back office for almost everything, and you're paying people, you know, in much less uh, compensation, you won't be able to sustain that. And you'll be a massive burn. And we've seen those companies go from that flat fee to now back up to the regular percentages that we're standardly seeing. So I think that's something we are, certainly researching. I think the one thing we do want to do is simplify a lot of the, uh, the fees that we have. And I've been someone who's been guilty of this is putting all these different ancillary fees in there. And look, we love the revenue, we love the income, but as you do the biz dev side to simplify that and make it much easier for the clientele, I think it's a great thing as well.
2: Well, here's a, another kind of a off topic discussion point, but it does tie yeah. into you guys a little bit is Comment on what you've been seeing in the, into the build to rent model. So one of the things that came out of PMMCon was Rob Hahn got up there and talked about uh, DR Horton, for example, they're building out these neighborhoods and they're building specifically to sell to a large investor, let's say all 150 homes, for example, and then those investors are turning around and renting it. And DR Horton, for example, would be making double what they would be making to just selling those homes individually so which is scary in a little little a little way but if you as a company can get into that to manage it man that's a windfall so yeah. but it's a trend that's kind of going into a weird space it doesn't really mean anything it's not going to be the apocalypse for property managers but it's a fun topic and i'd love to see what your research has shown from that go ahead
1: yeah so you know there's still the funny part there that is definitely on the rise you've seen all these huge companies are putting in you know, three to six billion dollars we've seen in a range of people putting money into. We're gonna, they're going to they're going to buy ten to twenty uh, thousand dollars homes and kind of either buy them individually or build these uh, build a rent. So there's a lot of that going on. That you still have eighty percent of these rentals in this nation are still owned by people who have one to ten doors. So they're still going to need that aspect, but you know, institutional management is quite different, obviously, than a regular individual who's managing a property for someone. And they come and go more quickly, because they do build these things up to sell those portfolios. So you have to be prepared as a management, not to jump off topic, be prepared if you are managing 100 or 200 doors for an institutional, be prepared when those go away, because it's probably somewhere between a two and five year uh, cliff where that will change. So I, I would say, You know, what we are seeing is that these, the interesting part, and I I totally agree with it, you're at a generational shift right now, where the millennial uh, generation is looking more to rent than they are to buy. And that's why they're building these build to rents, because like this generation doesn't like to buy, they like to rent, and the numbers show that, and they want to be able to move and, and go anywhere they want at any time, along with the fact that people are being able to work from home, only having to go in a couple days a week, they're moving outside of some of the areas as far as um, metropolitan cities and getting outside. So maybe their commute's longer, but it's only two or three times a week. So they are building these communities and they're basically like apartment complex communities, but single family homes, right? So it's gonna have a rec center, it's gonna have a pool, it's gonna have social events and they're really trying to bring together a little mini community to where they can do it. And you're gonna see a ton of these coming on. The biggest question in, in my opinion is, will those companies like a Lenar and a Blackstone and all these ones that are building it, will they ultimately, and they do have management, but are they going to manage that on their own? Or will they go to a company who has some sort of tech enablement side of it to really, um, you know, go and help them manage their business? And that's still yet to be determined because we know, historically, we've seen these larger companies try and manage it, and it hasn't worked out that great for them because, it's a in the property management. It's a tough business, right? There's really nothing out there to make it simple, and that's you know what we're trying to kind of solve. But they run into a big problem of becoming a service business, which they don't really want to do.
2: Yeah, but I do think I it's
1: get, it's a big change for sure.
2: One of the things I know about you is you're you're well versed on what's going on in the actual current happenings in the management industry, along with uh, the real estate industry as a whole. Need a repair at 2 a.m.? Easy does it.
0: Easy Repair coordinates maintenance and nothing else and takes after-hour maintenance calls for property managers, working with your property management software so you can see exactly what Easy is doing without leaving your own software. From Las Vegas, Nevada, our full-time maintenance coordinators will dispatch your work orders directly with your vendors. Give us a call at 800-488-6032 or visit our website, easyrepairhotlinellc.com.
2: So let's talk about one other fun topic as of recent is the CDC and all the moratorium and eviction moratoriums that are going on. So apparently, uh, you know, whatever, whatever's going on and they're ending it the end of July, 2021. I think that's kind of the bottom line, uh, throwing away all of the, you know, who's ruled overruled and other underruled, you know, I'm so sick of hearing it, it makes me want to cry. But they're, it's going to end the end of July. Yeah. Would you agree? Okay. Yeah. So, between that, Maybe.
1: well, depending on which state you're in, let's put it yeah. that way. <laughs>
2: Very good point. Very good point yeah. on that. So, uh, depending on which state, but they're talking at the federal level. So, yeah. you're looking at the super hot real estate market, and now you have potential inflation coming in, and you have this more, this eviction moratorium going to be potentially ending in July. Where is this all taken, the real estate market here for the rest of the year?
1: Yeah, it's it's a super interesting topic to talk about. So when we had, ironically, like Pure, we signed our first uh, lead investor the day before the country shut down, right? And there was a weird time because we were super excited. And then we were like, what the hell happened? We just, the country just shut down. Like, wh- like we're still, after you sign your lead, you go sign everybody else after because they're waiting for the lead to sign because the lead bets you. And, and this is part of this problem. We're saying, okay, maybe we should wait you know, this is kind of a strange time to go asking people for money. But we, the next thing that we're really worried about was, are we going to get rent in April, you know, of last year, you know? So it was an interesting time. So at the end of the day, we've seen this and everyone in this industry has seen at this point in the third party management side where you're in and we're in is people, we have good qualifications of tenants so people pay, right? And I think the biggest mistake that the government can make and what they have made is to get in the way of that. Right, and what happens is once they get in the way, people don't have the responsibility anymore. And it's unprecedented that they jump in the way of our contracts and tell us that they don't have to abide by a contract that we have with another individual, right? It's unprecedented and why landlords, like I totally get that tenants have hardships with this. We all have, everyone's gone through something. I don't care if you're a tenant or an owner of a property or a landlord. It was a tough time for everybody, right? It was a strange time, it was a tough time it's unprecedented that we go through and you know, probably use that word too much, but it was. And to really uh, hang this on a landlord, I mean, landlords, I felt like as a landlord myself, I got blamed for this. Like, we're not paying you, there's a pandemic. And I go, well, I had nothing to do with the pandemic. So why are you coming after me or our clients or other people that are doing it? And I think that the way, especially in third party, if the government would have stayed out, I think we have 90% of our owners that we work with are you know, pretty darn good people and they want to work with people. And you have 10% that are a little difficult probably to work with. And then you have 90% of our tenants are great people and very easy to work with and want to work something out. And 10% may be difficult to work with. If they let us handle it with the landlord and the tenant, I guarantee that this would have worked out much more amicably for everybody rather than jumping in and telling everybody what you have to do, you don't have to pay. And by the way, not letting them pay, what did that do for a tenant? basically gave them a loan. By the way, you owe it now. You got six months off. Now you owe it all. How did that help them? It put them in a bigger hole where a lot of landlords probably would have forgiven some of the money on their own because there are wealthy landlords out there. So it's unprecedented that they went through this. Use that word again. I don't understand why they jumped in it. And the CDC, for that matter, who has really nothing to do with any of this stuff as far as real estate goes to jump in. So it is what it is. Let's use that cliche and to the point where we need to deal with what we can do and, and how we can do it. So to kind of point in California, which is, is gonna have their own rules, they can continue to expand or extend, extend, extend. And uh, we just kind of say, okay, well, at what point does this end? Now they're saying, you know what, you can apply as a landlord and we will pay you your rent. Well, that's fantastic, but it's taking forever for them to get the money. So the landlords are now fronting the money for months and months at a time. Uh, previously, they were talking about allowing you not to pay your mortgage. Hey, you can not pay your mortgage for six months. Well, as we all know, mortgage is not your only payment, right? You have property taxes, you have insurance, you have maintenance, you have all these things. So I I really think, you know, the government kind of blew it on how they handle this. And and, and I always say, until I can walk into Safeway, grab a loaf of bread and walk out, then your rent's due, right? I mean, you can't have one thing free and one thing not. So we need to be able to work something out and let the people do it on their own. Most people are good people and want to work things out we have good qualifications of our tenants. They don't want to have ruin their credit. They don't want to ruin their re- landlord reference. They want to work something out. And that's what we really saw before they stepped in and, and changed things again. So I'm not sure where we'll go. The, my only worry is that if this pandemic ultimately doesn't go away, will we be right back where we started from or even worse off? Um, but when this ends, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting thing. But I think most importantly in our business our business, you know, we're looking at 98.5% of rent collected over the last year. So I mean, that just shows you that there's there the people out there want to pay their rent and they they still see it's understood. it's understood and it's
2: due. Yeah, we're in the same boat. That's roughly about what our rent collection rate is. I mean, 98, 99 yeah. percent. So yeah. you know, it would have been easier for them just to let the local magistrates, the local judges just dis- yeah. determine who gets evicted or not evicted. So kind of getting rid of all that. Let's imagine if we get all of a sudden a flood of homes into the market coming off of uh, mortgage foreclosures and or evictions, and that's going to cool off the sales market and potentially uh, just kind of put things back to normal a little bit. I mean, you know, we use that word unprecedented. Well, dang it. The sales market has been unprecedented of recent, you know, everyone has stories. They put the home in the market. It did this, it did this. And everyone yep. has stories of a big sell-off losing you know, 20%, 40% of their inventory to individual landlords just like seeing the high watermark and they're saying, you know, heck with it, sell it and I'll go put the money in the market or bitcoins or whatever they're going to do. You know, so it's, it's an interesting time and we don't know exactly what's going to go on. I'm just trying to bring up to see if we can have a discussion because I know you do a lot of research on your side and you, you're around a lot of smart people there. And that is kind of fun to talk about. So let's kind of wrap this up. I want you to put out your URL. So how does somebody reach you and find you as Pure? Yeah, so
1: we're uh, purepm.co. Uh, so www.purepm.co. Um, you go to our website there. Once again, uh, I think one thing about Pure is, and then we kind of talked about earlier is, we're not making this about Pure. We're available to reach out there. You can only, anyone can reach out to me anytime. I take every call. Um, i love talking about this business. I love talking about the industry. Um, but as you can see, we're not putting our name out there. We've done zero press releases. We've done zero announcements of acquisitions. We really have done nothing. The first thing we've really actually did is through that party at PMMCon con with, um, you know, uh, um, enterprise bank and, uh, second nature. And, you know, that was the first thing we actually did publicly, you know, is, is really just throw a fun party. And at that party, it wasn't about pure. It was about, Hey, let's, Let's finally get out of our houses in our first mask-free conference, which still, you know, freaked out my wife, but we were okay and vaccinated and all, all okay. But at the end of the day, everyone was so excited there, I felt, because it was finally we're out, you know, we're finally having fun and drinking. But at the end of the day, this is not about, you know, myself or Joe or Pure. It's a, it's about um, the, the people that are coming together as a whole and and really trying to change the uh, change, you know, embrace the change of this industry, right? And be part of it. So
2: yeah, you guys, can have, been get very, you guys have been very quiet about this. So I even had to ask you if you were even ready for a podcast because everyone's kind of, you know, buzzing around it in the background. They're like this, this, this. And, you know, no one really has heard from you or and be very frank, you have not been beating the drum, which is fine because you guys have enough going on to where you can pace it out and people will hear about it word of mouth and you're doing the right thing. So I, I love what y'all are doing. It's interesting. It's, it's good for the industry. I think it elevates everything that we're doing as far as a whole, as far across the board and the nation. And I, I wish you guys the best of success. So one more time, how do we reach you if someone wants to talk to you further about acquisitions or just property management in general? How do we reach you?
1: Yeah, you can reach me obviously through there. If you're on, on Facebook, you can connect with me there. You can email me, mike at purepm.co. Uh, those are kind of the best ways to reach me. I probably don't want to put out my cell phone uh, uh, on Facebook Live, but uh, if you email me, you will get my fa- my uh, excuse me my cell phone. You can text me, call me at any time. But those are the ways you can reach us. We have a great team, so anyone that you know who might be working with here, they're all open to talk to everybody as well. And I think that's the fun part too is the group we brought together. They're so excited about this. I mean, every single day. Don't get me wrong; it's a grind. <laughs> We're working our tails off. But every single day we wake up working with people we like we like, and we enjoy working with, and it's fun. Uh, and that's what really what the culture we're trying to bring. So um, I'm sure some of the people that are listening know people in, the, in our company. Feel free to reach out to them anytime. But you know I'm always available as well.
2: Mike, thanks so much for coming on. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk soon as well. Take care. Thank you.
0: As more tenant-friendly legislations are passed, from reduced security deposits to no evictions in the winter months, and everything in between, in the future, the landlord's income will be ultimately affected, and even being driven out of their rental business. Property managers and landlords need to make sure their voices are heard to help reduce the tide of these increasing laws that will ultimately make owning a rental property more difficult and costly. Let your landlords know about Shorevestor's Landlord Protection Insurance to help them protect their rental income call us at 800-975-0562 or visit shorevester.com to learn more about shorevester and how it can help you protect your landlord's income and grow your business this has been a podcast episode by propertymanagementproductions.com be sure to
1: subscribe to our podcast leave us feedback and come back for our next episode